Hello Saints, Todd here with SafeguardYourSoul.com. Thank you so much for tuning in. We are so blessed to have these moments together in the Word of God. And remember, Saints, there's nothing, there's nothing, no thing happening on God's planet that is even remotely as important as the work of the gospel and feeding the sheep of Jesus Christ for whom he died to save so that they can grow in grace, they can be edified, they can be equipped for the work of the ministry according to the scriptures. And let me just guarantee you this one thing, by the grace of God, this outreach will continue to unapologetically endeavor to preach the whole of the word of God, regardless of who gets offended or not in Jesus name. And please remember that your prayers and support are vital to this operation. Thank you. Jesus paid it all. Hebrews chapter 9 verse 26 says, Now once in the end of the world hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. We read in the book of John that it is finished when Jesus was dying on the cross. John 19.30, he declared that it is finished, which simply means paid in full. You see, friends, all have sinned against our God. We have all sinned against him. There is none righteous, not even one of us, Romans chapter 3. And so our own good works do not atone for our sins. The Bible says in Isaiah 64, 6, that all of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags and that we're saved by grace through faith. And that is not of ourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Only Jesus could and did do that for us. That is, make the atonement to bring us back to God. You see, when Jesus Christ died, he cried out, it is finished, which in part means that righteousness was perfected. Divine justice was satisfied. Blood was shed, which is essential in the divine economy depicted in the animal sacrifices of the old covenant. Also, redemption was paid. Sins were forgiven. Reconciliation was achieved. Death was conquered and salvation was secure, and might I add that peace was made between God and fallen mankind, his most prized creation or part of his creation, mankind. In fact, I'm reminded of Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, that is, those who are in Christ Jesus, the apostle is writing to, ye who sometimes were afar off, you were alienated, that is, are made nigh or close by the blood of Christ. You see, we are brought into fellowship with God through the blood of Jesus Christ. In fact, the Bible says the just Jesus, the just one, died for those that are unjust to bring us back to God. 1 Peter 3.18, for Christ also hath once suffered for our sins, just once, perfect sacrifice being offered, that is the precious blood of Jesus Christ. For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust. You see, Jesus was forsaken that we might be forgiven. He took the blow of death for us, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened or made alive by the Spirit, the Holy Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead. We must always keep in mind that the Lord himself is holy, 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 and therefore takes sin very seriously and cannot coexist with somebody who chooses to live in sin. In fact, the Bible says in Psalm chapter 5, verse 4, just that, he says, for thou art not a God that hath pleasure in wickedness, neither 
shall evil dwell with thee. That's Psalm 5.4. Also, Habakkuk 1.13 says, Thou art of purer eyes than to behold evil and cannot look on iniquity. There it is. He's of purer eyes because he's holy, 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 holy. He cannot behold evil. He cannot look on iniquity. You and I can recall how it was Satan who, when rebellion and pride were found in his heart, he was immediately vanquished from heaven with a third of the angels. When Adam and Eve sinned just one time, they were vanquished from the presence of God. The coming of Jesus to die on the cross reveals how loving God is and how personal he takes sin. The Lord, therefore, quote, appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. That's why he came. He appeared, here it is, quote, unquote, he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. So Jesus came to put away sin. He came to once and for all pay the price that the Father required. He satisfied the claims of the Father's justice by shedding his blood, that is to redeem mankind. That's what we read in Isaiah 53, 11, that the price of his blood satisfied the claims of the Father's justice. The Son of God came in person in a body. The Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and he came to do what? He came to pour out his blood for the sins of mankind ultimately. The Son of God came in person to pay the full debt for the sin of mankind, and the good news is that it is finished or paid in full, John 19, verse 30. Jesus obtained eternal redemption for us, and he did this by his own blood. Again, Hebrews 9, 12, neither by the blood. Now, the writer of Hebrews, the Holy Spirit and the writer of Hebrews are comparing the prefiguring sacrifices of the Old Covenant, which merely stood to forecast what was coming. That would be the perfect sacrifice, even Christ, the Lamb of God, which does what? Which taketh away the sin of the world. No one can have fellowship with God, who is holy, 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 unless their sins are taken away. And God himself was the only one who could have done this and the only one who did do it in the person of Jesus Christ. In fact, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, 19, that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself and that he made him to be sin or the sin sacrifice for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And so as we begin to look at in Ephesians 2, you know, the beginning of the chapter starts with how we were quickened from our dead state, our separated dead or death means separation because of our trespasses and sins, wherein in time past, verse 2, Ephesians 2, wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world. That's what many of us call BC or before Christ in our lives. We walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, that's Satan, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also ye had your, we had our conversation or way of life in time past or times past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind and were by nature, were by nature, the children of wrath, even as others. Now, there are some out there who say that we don't have a sin nature. It wouldn't be proper to say we have a sin nature. I think on this verse and the totality of the authority of Scripture, I believe that we have the authority to say that we were by nature the children of wrath. By nature, notice, by nature, our sinful nature passed on to us by Adam, Romans 5. And in Romans 7, Paul said, I know that in me there's no good thing that dwelleth in me. No good thing. That was after he was saved and hence the need for Christ's redemption and the daily cross Christ commanded us to take up. Verse 4, 
4, Ephesians 2, But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love, wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, by grace are you saved, and hath raised us up together and made us to sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages, here's the reason why he redeemed us, not only for fellowship now, but that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. Amen. God has an eternal plan. We also read that in the first chapter, verse 10 of Ephesians, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, there he is, he's foretelling the reason why Jesus came to the earth so that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ. You see, only those who are in Christ are justified from their sins from which they could not otherwise be justified. In fact, that's exactly what we read, and I believe it's in the book of Acts, chapter 13, verse 39. Notice this, Acts 13, 39, and by him, that's Christ, all that believe are justified from all things from which ye could not be justified by the law of Moses. We are forgiven for our sins through the blood of a lamb, Jesus Christ. Let's look at Acts 15, 11, also another redemption verse, but we believe that through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved even as they, that is the Gentiles, all are saved and only saved through the blood of a lamb, Jesus Christ, which alone separates the sins and the offense of sin from us. So Ephesians 1.10, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ. You see, it's just like any good parent. They're never happier than when they have their, when a man has his wife and his children all secure in the evening, perhaps with the doors shut and locked in their sovereign dwelling place, safe and secure and separated from all others as only a family can enjoy. And that's what God's saying here. He's telling us that in the dispensation of the fullness of times in the future, he is going to gather together in one, in one place, the new Jerusalem, Revelation 21. All things are all people that are in Christ, both are which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him. It's all in him and only in Christ, whom the Father said, declared that this is my beloved son in him, in whom I am well pleased. And it's only those that are in Christ who are pleasing to the Father and will be enjoying the bliss of eternal glory with him when he gathers together in one all things in Christ. There are many who are already in heaven. To be absent from the body is to be present from the Lord. Second Corinthians 5 tells us, and there are those who are on earth. So he says, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him. All of those that are in him, in Christ, no matter where they be, are going to be brought together in the new Jerusalem. Verse 11, in whom we are also, we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will, that we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ. And we're going to pop back to chapter 2 and we've finished in verse 7, verse 8 and 9 as I quoted earlier, for by grace are you saved through faith, that's faith in Christ, the only Redeemer, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. No man merits his own salvation. Grace means unmerited favor. That which is clearly and freely bestowed upon us by God when we put our faith in Christ, we repent or turn to God and put our faith in Christ. Not of works, lest any man should boast. Verse 13, Ephesians 2, But now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were afar off, are made nigh by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace. Jesus is our peace. I'm reminded of Isaiah.
Isaiah chapter 53, the most profound prophetic utterance of the coming Messiah found before he came. Isaiah 53 verse 5, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him and with his stripes we are healed. So he is our peace. Ephesians 2.14, who hath made both one, that is the Jews and the Gentiles, and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having a abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in himself of twain or two one new man, so making peace, not only peace between God and man, but also peace among all men. There's only two kingdoms in this earth, those that are at peace with God through Christ, the Prince of Peace, Isaiah 9, 6, and 7, and therefore at peace with one another, the body of Christ. And then there's the kingdom of darkness, those who are separated from God, in their sin, and so making peace, and that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby. Verse 18, for through him we both have access by one spirit, the Holy Spirit, unto the Father. Now, therefore, ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief corner stone in whom all the building that is the building of his body fitly framed together groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord in whom ye also are builded together for an habitation of God through the spirit so in this message we're talking about how Jesus paid it all to redeem us back to the father he quote obtained eternal redemption for us that is by his own blood according to Hebrews chapter 9 verse 12 and contrary to to popular Catholic belief, Jesus needed no help. He single-handedly redeemed mankind back to the Father and himself. Hebrews 1-2 says, Jesus hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Father, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son. He didn't speak through the Pope or Mary or Fatima or any other false prophet, but via his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things. Also, he made the worlds. Jesus made all that is, and in the came and died for the world. He was in the world and the world was made by him and the world knew him not. John 1.10, verse 3, Hebrews 1, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, that's Jesus Christ, when he had by himself, there it is, single-handedly, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. And according to the book of Hebrews, which I want to encourage you to study thoroughly and continue to read through, Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for his beloved saints and invites us to, as often as needed, to come before his throne of grace to obtain mercy and find grace to help and mercy, and to find mercy for our sins and grace to help in time of need. Not only does he forgive your sins, he gives you the grace to overcome so that the next time you don't stumble into that sin and you have a consistent walk with him. Jesus came to take away sins. He didn't come to die to give us a license to live in sin. The Bible says he's the Lamb of God which cometh to take away 
away the sin of the world. By the way, let me say this. Jesus didn't come and die so that anyone that he saved would continue to live in the same sins. He came to die to separate them from. Such a person is not enduring to the end at all. And such a person is in big trouble with God. I love Hebrews chapter 2, verse 13, which says, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity, not some, but all, and purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. Let me, while I'm at it, remind you, as I often like to do, that in the end of Ephesians chapter 5, we read that Jesus gave his life for the church that he might present it to himself, a glorious church. And what does a glorious church look like? Here it is. Not having spot, that is the spot or the stain of sin or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their own, their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. So men are to love their wives, even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. And he's going to present the true church to himself. And that true church is one that has been born again, each individual member, and is abiding, walking in the spirit, not in the flesh. It doesn't mean there's not going to be a fight. We have to fight the good fight of faith. Some people have more confidence in their sin than they do in the saving grace of God to cause them to overcome that sin. You know, I was talking with a dear brother this morning and shared with him that this fool, the one speaking, this disciple, never began to have real victory over sin until the concept of the cross began to settle in until there was an application and a penetration, if you will, of that cross concept and enactment in my daily life where there is the death, burial, and resurrection. We are crucified, remember, with Christ. We are dead and buried with him, and we are raised up with him. And we have the promise, according to the book of Romans, I want to also point you to Romans, which many rightfully call the ABCs of the Christian faith. Chapter 8, verse 11 tells us that the same Holy Spirit that raised up Jesus from the dead is going to raise up all his disciples. And that means in this life, as you are crucified with Christ, you are dead and buried. You resign yourself. You cry out with John the Baptist that he must increase, but you must decrease. And with the apostle Paul, that you are crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, you live, not you, but Christ that lives in you. The life which we now live in the flesh, we live by the faith of the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us. We have much, a wealth of biblical truth on this topic under the daily cross category, safeguardyoursoul.com forward slash daily dash cross, or on the desktop version on the right side, you'll have you'll find a category drop down menu. Just go to D for daily cross. So Jesus obtained eternal redemption for us. So positionally, we're seated together in heavenly places in Christ, as we just read in Ephesians 2, 6. But also there's the practical engagement and involvement in an abiding relationship that God requires of us in this world. See, so much of the evangelical church only camps out on and understands the positional, the heavenly, divinely wrought, positional place believers have in Christ, and they completely ignore the cross that Jesus said you must take up in order to follow him, and which would mean to abide in him. Jesus said, if you don't abide in me, you will be cast into the fire. John chapter 15, verse 1 through 6. So, you know, he also gave the parable of the ten virgins. Listen, he was engaged to ten of them, but only five made it because only five stayed faithful to him during that courtship period. Think about it in human terms, and God set all this up for a reason. That's the reason why he gave the parable of the 
the ten virgins. It's the parable of a bridegroom, that's him, represents him, and ten virgins, all of which are engaged to him. And so only five made it. You know, a picture a man who's engaged to a woman and she begins to lose interest in him. What is he going to do? He's going to cancel the engagement. He's no longer going to be a spouse to her. But some believe that the Holy Son of God is somehow obligated to bring all ten of those virgins to heaven. Well, Jesus said that's not so. Only five were admitted with a well done into the bridal chamber of eternal glory, and the other five who chose not to be in a relationship with the bridegroom during the engagement period got their wish for all eternity. They were shut out of the eternal bridal chamber with Christ. It's real simple, and it's real straightforward and self-evident. If you will study the Bible for yourself, and stop listening to the lies that the false teachers have imposed upon your biblically illiterate mind, shut them off and read the King James Bible for yourself prayerfully. There's no such thing as a person in the history of the world who got saved and then went and started reading the Bible for themselves without any influence of man. It came out with this idea that they're eternally secure because it's not in there. That's put upon the scriptures. That's a siphoning out of a few select scripture to the exclusion of the whole word of God, which paints a completely different picture. Salvation is conditional according to the whole counsel of scripture, not unconditional. And that condition is both initially in repentance and faith in Christ and then ongoing as you continue in a relationship with the Lord, the great bridegroom, just as the five wise virgins did. And then in the end, you're going to hear, well done, my good and faithful servant, Matthew 25. So the scripture says in Hebrews 9, 12, I think this is probably our central verse, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood. I want you to underline that in your Bible. He entered into once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. That would, if you'll read chapter 8 through 10 of Hebrews, you're going to find that Jesus, after he shed his blood on the cross, saying, declaring it is finished, went into heaven and sprinkled his blood on the mercy seat in eternal glory. It's by his own blood, quote unquote, that he redeemed us and he has obtained eternal redemption for us. You see, we owe a debt because we've sinned that we cannot pay, but Jesus paid a debt he did not owe. Amen. We are forever grateful to him for this unspeakable gift, 2 Corinthians 9, 5. Notice Revelation 1, 5. And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the definite article, faithful, sinless, perfect witness, and the first begotten of the dead, Jesus was raised again from the dead, and the prince of the kings of the earth, Jesus Christ is the prince of the kings of the earth. He's the King of kings and Lord of lords. Revelation 19. Then he finishes this verse, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins, his own blood. Don't you just love that sentence? Unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. I love First Peter chapter. I'm reminded after reading that verse, First Peter chapter 1, verse 8, whom having not seen, none of us have yet seen Christ, ye love, but we love him, in whom, though now ye see him not, yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. We rejoice at the one that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood, Jesus Christ. Revelation 1.5. So Jesus, we read a minute ago in Hebrews 1.3, quote unquote, by himself, boom, lock and frame those words. By himself, Jesus redeemed us. He bought and brought us back to God by shedding his own precious blood on that cross. Jesus needed no help. He alone was sufficient to propitiate, expiate, to atone for the sins of mankind. In fact, 1 John chapter 2, verse 2 
tells us that Jesus is the propitiation or the atoning sacrifice, not only for our sins, but for the sins of the whole world. Amen. What a great God we serve, who by himself purged our sins. It is finished. It's paid in full. One more time before we close. Remember, Jesus paid it all. Just like the song says, when Jesus cried out, it is finished. Having paid it all, it's paid in full. Righteousness was perfected. Divine justice was satisfied. Blood was shed. Redemption was paid. Sins were forgiven. Reconciliation was achieved. Death was conquered and salvation was secured. As we close some of the words of the beautiful song, Jesus paid it all. I want to encourage you, even if you know that song, to pull that up on YouTube or wherever you get your music and just relish the beauty of our Savior, the one who came and paid it all for us, the one who came and obtained eternal redemption for us. Again, that's Hebrews 9, 12. That'll be in the text version of this message on safeguardyoursoul.com, which of course is titled, Jesus Paid It All. The song says, I hear the Savior say, thy strength indeed is small. Child of weakness, watch and pray. Find in me thine all in all. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. God bless you, beloved. So glad we had these moments together. May God continue that good work he began in you, both the will and the do of his good pleasure, perfecting that which concerns your life in Christ as we look for his soon return from glory. Jesus is coming. Well, brothers and sisters, it's been a blessing to spend these moments with you in the Word of God. And remember, there's hundreds of more Christ-centered, scripture-rich, edifying podcasts on safeguardyoursoul.com forward slash audios. There's also a store page with several, many books on there for your edification in Christ. They're all scripture-rich and Christ-centered. Also, tens of thousands of saints and sinners are being reached every month, and you're prayers are coveted for the fruitfulness and supply of this outreach. God be praised, by the way, for those who are supporting. And feel free to visit our donate page on the site. And you can use your debit card, PayPal, or Patreon. And you can become a monthly sustaining member if you choose to do so. And a gift of any amount is so appreciated. Part of this outreach is to equip and supply other ministering disciples across our great country and all over the world. And may God be praised that there's fruitfulness happening among his people and through his beloved saints as we know that the return of our Lord Jesus Christ draws nigh. And we say together in the words of Revelation 22, even so, come Lord Jesus. Amen.